Well, if you wouldn't mind, grab your Bibles uh, and turn to Psalm 26. Psalm 26 is where we will be tonight. So we're going to drill a little deeper on what transpired this morning in Psalm 26. Now, just as a refresher, Psalm 26, friends, uh, can be a little difficult uh, to handle. It's one of those psalms that you come to and you often think, wow, am I expected to live this kind of life? And so as I was studying it on my own, I would, I would continue to think, Lord, is this just a high calling or is this just an example or is it a way that we can look at David's life and understand that really it's in Christ's provision? And though that is truly the case, we also understand that David wasn't all that in a bag of chips either. He realized, if we go to verse 9 through 10, and we'll read the text again here in a moment, but once we got to verse 9 and 10, it was like the axe at the root of the tree of pride, and that David really understood that God had the right to do whatever he wished with David, even sweep him away with sinners, even though David had done all the right things before God. So let's read the text together again, verse 1 all the way through verse 12, so chapter 26 of the Psalms. We'll read those together now. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence. And go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep me away, my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground in the great assembly. I will bless the Lord. You know, from the very beginning of this passage, we see David expressing how he desires the Lord to expose his heart. Lord, look deeply upon me and see whether or not I am who I say I am, whether I'm actually guilty before you or I'm not guilty. And something that I'd like to point out here that, that I think is very pivotal is that David doesn't seek to prove himself guiltless before man, but before God. We understand, we see that David does not go to the world and say, hey world, think better of me. Or hey world, I care more about your opinions then maybe I care about God's. 
But what we see is the example of David not going to the world to correct a distorted view of his integrity. But he goes to God. Because he knows that God sees all and knows all. And so the example that David is showing us by this kind of integrity, this kind of, Lord, vindicate me before you. See if my life and my mouth match. We see how this is reinforced in verse 1 when it says, Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. And then it says, For I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now we can think of passages like James 1, where he says the double-minded man will not expect to receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded, unstable in all his ways. And by looking at passages like that, we know that God calls us to trust in him without wavering, without looking at other things to play into that kind of trust. You know, Martin Luther was one of the first ones to pull this distinction out, and it was something that Scripture teaches, but he taught something about the first act of obedience and the first act of disobedience towards God. The first act of obedience towards God is belief. Belief in God. You know, it's often taught, especially in Southern Baptist circles, that the first act of obedience to God is baptism. Well, that's, that's not it. The first act of obedience to God is belief. John 3.16, if you just want to turn there real quick, it says, it, it states it pretty clearly. John 3.16, verse 16 through 18, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So we see earlier that the five points that that I had in my sermon today was this, that the righteous seek to be guiltless before God. And that's in verse 1 through 2. The second thing is that the righteous gaze at the goodness of God and walk in the truth of God. The third one is that the righteous find the assembly of evildoers detestable. Remember that imagery of odor. That we find the assembly of the ungodly odious to to our life. Also that the righteous, the fourth is that the righteous find refreshment in the praise and the presence of God. And then the last one is that the righteous understand their continual need of redemption and grace. So the Christian's first act of obedience according to verse 1 is that of trust. And we need to see that this is related to verse, and I may have mentioned this shortly in the sermon this morning. But his ability to be walking in integrity, David's ability to walk in integrity, is established and rooted in the fact that he has trusted in God. And it cannot be separated. Those two ideas cannot be divorced. So, if our first act is to trust God, then that means that integrity will follow. I know that 
especially in my own study and maybe even the sermon this morning, felt a little weighty. Because we're looking, at, we're looking at this example of Jesus, or we're looking at this example of David. And David is just setting this amazing example of a man who's walking in integrity. And not just, not just walking in integrity, but saying, God, look at me. Peer into my soul. See whether or not my life is what it says it is. What I say it is. And we saw the, the verbs, how the Lord... How, how David says, don't just probe in, don't just weigh me out, but actually throw me in the furnace. See if there's any worth there. And I don't know about you, but whenever I read passages like that, that kind of makes me feel a little weighted down. Because I know that I'm not guiltless before God. I know that I struggle with sin. I know that this life is a continual struggle. But it is nonetheless the call of the Christian to trust God and walk in integrity. And the scripture does say also that we are to be holy as our heavenly Father is holy. Now, if we are to trust God, if this trust in God is what enables or induces a life of integrity, we need to understand the difference between what we trust. We need to understand the subtle ways that we trust him. You know, as we're asleep, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, how it's grace that we even arrived tonight or this morning, that God's grace is present in all things, and it is his, it is his common grace, that by his common grace, he preserves and sustains his creation. And all people are recipients of that grace. And just like that, as we sleep, we have to ask the question, who watches over us as we sleep? You know, we have deadbolts on our doors, right? I lock those deadbolts. And there are some days where I wake up and I realize I forgot to lock the door. And I look at that door and I go, man, someone could have walked right through that door. That's grace. Friends, that's grace. It's the fact that someone didn't walk through that door. You know, I had a professor who... Uh, and this is, a, this is a, a, a rough story, but I had a professor back in seminary who one day his mother was, uh, walked up to the door in Fort Worth. She opened the door and a, a man was standing there who she didn't know, and he shot her and killed her right there on the spot. Well, what happened is the, it was a hitman hired by someone, and that man found the wrong house. Isn't that horrible? That's horrible. But friends, God's preserving grace, every moment that something like that doesn't happen is God's grace. Every moment that God preserves us and keeps us, sustains us, is grace. And it's the same kind of thing that John Piper talks about. He even talks about how if someone doesn't believe in God's sovereignty, he will ask them, how did you wake up this morning? How did you know that you were going to be a Christian when you woke up this morning? It's that God has sustained you and that you will be sustained to the end. So we need to distinguish in our trust of God. We need to distinguish between trust that we give him without knowledge and trust that we give God by choice. Trust that we give God without knowledge and trust that we give God by choice. You know, I like to call it by default, (laughs) We give God trust by default. Even the most astute atheists give God trust by default. 
I think it was John Piper who even said, an atheist is an atheist until he steps out on the highway. <laughs> it's because they understand that their, hands are, that their life is not in their own hands. And so, the difference between trust by default and trust by choice is that if we give God by default our trust, we might just give him, we might not even acknowledge the ways that we trust him. Like the fact that we drove here tonight. The fact that our tire didn't blow. The fact that we didn't get T-boned on the way here. These are ways that we subtly trust in something beyond ourselves. Friends, we do it all the time. We trust in a power that's above us. But there's a second kind of trust. And that is a trust by choice. My question is to us is that Is my trust in God just trust that I give him as a natural tendency? Or I might say, yeah, I trust God. But there's no active pursuit of giving him trust. There's no choosing to give trust. So my question is, do we give trust by default? Or do we give trust by choice? Trust is something that we can give by default in our human agency. And I think it's... Because we just, we just do it without any careful consideration. But the choice to give God trust is something that we don't want to do in our natural tendency. And this is something that I talked about this morning. That it's something that God creates in us. It's something that God regenerates in us and makes new. The scripture doesn't say that God warms our hearts at the fires of his love until we become more like Christ. No, the scripture says he gives you a new heart. The scripture says that he does a heart transplant. And for those who don't completely believe in the doctrine of regeneration, friends, this is the difference. God doesn't make dead people better. He makes dead people alive. And that's the difference, is that when God gives people new life, when God causes new birth in people, then their chooser, like I talked about this morning, is fixed. It is given the ability to look to God and say, I want to give you my trust. So one of the most deadful and subtle sins that dismantle our relationship with God is the subtle sin of not trusting Him. It's subtle and it's small. But beloved, one of the most foundational, helpful things that will ever transform your life is that. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. And we have to understand also that He is trustworthy. That we don't serve a God who is just willy-nilly with everything that we give Him. And we also have to understand, friends, that our trusting Him is His due. He deserves it. He is not just good enough for our trust, but he deserves our trust. So when we give him our trust, we have to understand that our trust is in his hands and his hands are better than our own. So I came up with about four things, four ways, practical ways, that we can actually learn to flex our trust muscles. We can learn to flex our trust muscles. The first thing is, with your life. Think about intentional ways that you can trust God 
with your health, your well-being, even your job, things that involve you personally. Think, ponder over ways that you can actually trust God with that. It is a way by, in prayer it might be that you just have to take it off your lap and just say, God, I have to give it to you because I can't handle it anymore. I just have to give it to you. There may be things that are overwhelming you. There may be a sickness. There may be a family situation. Or it might be something that you just struggle with anxiety. Friends, you might just struggle with anxiety. A person who has just heightened anxiety and you're just always worried that something's going to happen, that you're going to get a terrible sickness. Friends, Christ has liberated us from that. That's why Scripture says, cast your anxieties upon Him, for He cares for you. So friends... Learn, we need to learn how to flex the muscles of our trust in God by giving him what is most valuable to us. And that starts with ourselves. Me. Giving him myself. The second thing, of course, is my family. Being able to trust God, like we talked about, like we prayed about this evening, with our children's salvation. You know, one of the things that I've learned, one of the things that I've learned about, uh, about the Christian home is that a lot of things in the Christian home are about the long game. You have people in your home. I don't think there will be any other person in my entire life that I will be able to witness to and mold for 18 years more than likely, other than my children. And that means that I and Casey have the most pivotal role in our children's lives. When I heard that the first time, I thought, wow, <laughs> And I, init- I instantly said, God, take it. <laughs> I don't want to have to deal with it. Because that really is the case. That God has handed us gifts. And by giving us gifts, a lot of times we hoard his gifts. And by hoarding his gifts, we're not willing to give it to the one who gave it. So I would... I would encourage you, friends, learn, flex the trust muscles of your family with God by giving your children to God, giving your children, giving your family, giving your spouse, giving your home, and understanding that all of it is God's grace to you. Whether it's finances, think about the way that we can trust God with our finances. I remember the first time that we started, Casey and I both started giving to church, we started giving a tithe or giving to church. And I remember thinking, oh, <laughs> we could use that for something else. And friends, I, uh, I, I advised a person later on after some time, I advised a guy, he was asking me, how much do I give? Or how do I know too much is too much or too little is too little? And I said, you want to give until it starts to hurt just that much. Just that much. And if you, wanna, if you really want to trust him, make it hurt that much. <laughs> but I said, I said to this, this guy, I think trusting God needs to hurt a little bit. It needs to pry at our, our comfort seams. It needs to pull those things apart and allow the Lord to work in places that you weren't actually open to him working in the first place. And what we'll find is that the callousness of your heart will become broken and more pliable and usable when you start exercising your trust in him. And the fourth thing is our futures. That we trust God with what is to come. 
that we trust God with the things that we cannot know. I heard uh, R.C. Sproul once speak about the difference between God's wills and how R.C. Sproul was talking about how God has a decretive will, but he also has a, a will that is one that we can't know. He has a will that's out there, a will that is established, that is steady, and that he has founded, but we can't know those things. But isn't it funny how when someone comes up to you and says, man, I want to know God's will for my life, it's usually the latter. It's usually, I want to know what, what God's will is for me down the road. I want to know what God wants for me down that way. And my, my job is, as a Christian is say, look at the scriptures, because God has shown us how to live now. And whenever God, whenever I see something like that, I, I remember telling that to a, an unbelieving friend that I had. He wasn't too fond of that, <laughs> because I was pointing him to the scriptures. I was showing him that God has revealed his will, and that he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. Believe him, trust him now. So learning to, to trust him with our careers. Willing to accept where God has placed me, even if it doesn't meet my own standards. You know, I was talking uh, to Blake once, and I was talking about something, about being a good preacher. And he said, Jansen, even if, you're, even if you were the greatest preacher in the world, would it be enough? That statement kind of struck me at the, at, the, at the pride muscle there. Because his statement's really getting at, at the heart. If I wanted to be a, a, the greatest preacher in the world, if I wanted to be the best, best basketball player, or the best worker at your job, the best at your job, you set records, would it be enough? Would it satisfy the longing in your soul? And in reality, it just won't. So guys, this is, these are four ways... Friends, these are four ways that the Lord, I believe, shows us practical ways that we can begin to flex that trust in Him and show God, intentionally show God ways that we can begin to display our trust in Him. So I would encourage you this week, even think about it. Think about those four categories and think about asking the Lord, pray to Him, Asking him, Lord, how can I trust you in this area? Show me how I can be faithful to you in this area. Think about your coworkers, your friends who do not know the gospel, even your family who do not know the gospel. Think about your family, your spouse, your children, and ask the question, Lord, how can I trust you with this? And what you'll find is the Lord will begin to pry away that self-dependency and he'll begin to push you upon himself. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the goodness that you display to us through it. Lord, we thank you that it is a perfect illustration of your righteous character. But Lord, we also thank you that though we are hopeless, depraved sinners, 
that you give us hope in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the fact that we don't have to work for acceptance before you on our own. We don't have to be the perfect standard, but you have been that. And you, through your Spirit, have caused us to choose you. Please help us, Lord, throughout this week and throughout the next couple weeks even, that we would begin to think about how we can trust you. And I would ask that you would show us ways that we are not trusting you. Show us ways that are deep within the crevices of our hearts that might be hidden back in a dark corner that the Lord might, that you might put your finger upon and show us, Lord, how we can trust you with those things. I ask that you would help us be faithful with those who are around us, those who are in our family, and also our friends, and with our church. Lord, I thank you for this evening, and I pray that you would be with us as we leave. In Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. You are dis-